Hi, good morning, everybody. Good morning. Morning, Tony. <laughs> so good to worship God, isn't it? So good to be here. So good to be a family together. Well, good morning to you if you are with us in the room. Good morning to you if you're watching on YouTube. Good morning if you're catching up at some point in what is still my future, but you're welcome all the same. Uh, this morning we are uh, really launching into our Metamorphosis series, and, it, and as we look at what it means to be transformed by the world, rather than conforming to the, uh, rather than confirming, conforming to the world. Let's do that again, because that's our catchphrase. This is, see, that's a good start, isn't it? There's our, there's our catchphrase for this morning that I, I've been practicing in front of the mirror, and I cannot get it right. So th- that's the theme that runs through the whole of the next five, six, seven weeks in Garden Church, and I've blown it at day one. But let's try that again. So we are looking at what it means to be transformed by the word, rather than conforming to the world. Does that sound better? Okay, we'll go with that. Thank you. My my job here is done. (laughs) That is what we are looking at over these these few weeks. And uh, there is this incredible verse in Romans that that Steve um, launched this series with back at the church weekend away that talks about that, and we'll see that verse in a moment. Um, and, And really, that is the intro to this whole chapter in Philippians. Uh, It says there that uh, do not be conformed to this world. This is Paul talking to the church at Rome. But be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And that's Paul writing to the church at Rome. And then very much in his letter to the Philippians in chapter 4, he almost like opens that up and suggests a whole series of areas and aspects of our life where there is this expectation and this hope that we are going to be transformed. That the way that we see things is not going to be the way that the world sees them, is going to be the way that the word sees them. And that's, that's our journey over the next number of weeks as various folks are going to take just a verse or two verses in Philippians 4 and really explore what it means. So there's that verse in, uh, in Romans. We are starting at the beginning of Philippians 4. So verse 1, just one verse, one simple verse. Paul talking to the church in Philippi. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord my beloved. Let's pray. Father, I just pray that you help us this morning to open up this passage, to see something of your truths in here, to find out how we can be uh, changed and transformed. Amen. So this is the phrase that is central to what we are going to be looking at. We're going to be looking at what it means, uh, if, if you didn't spot that in that first verse there, to be transformed in our love in our love for each other, in our love for God, to understand what it means for for God to love us. That that sounds some simple stuff. It sounds simple when I say it, but we're going to spend a bit of time and really seek to understand what we mean by that. It's important to notice that, that Paul says, be transformed. He could have said, be changed. That's kind of a softer word. We, we, we understand change. We all go through change in our life. We're all changing. Paul says, be 
transformed. It's a much stronger word. It actually comes from two root words, uh, two Greek words, which means meta, this word metamorphosis, which means meta, which means after, and morphe, meaning form. After and form. So when we go through a metamorphosis, when we go through a transformation, something happens that afterwards we are now a new form. I might... I might grow a little bit. I probably grow a little bit older. We all grow a little bit older every day. We all, we all change in one degree or another. But there's something different about a transformation. The, uh, the dictionary, I think, describes it as a conspicuous and abrupt change. A conspicuous and abrupt change. Um, <laughs> I've literally just thought of this. I was looking at Facebook this morning, and th there was a post there from a guy who'd, um, who'd actually pranged his car. And there was a picture of the car with the stoved-in bumper in the front of the car. And he said, guys, any thoughts on how much this is going to cost to repair? It, it was actually a classic car. And he'd been driving it along, and something had happened. His foot had got stuck on the accelerator, and he crashed his classic car, his pride and joy into a lamppost and stoved in the front. I'm looking at you because you've got that car, haven't you? You're there with me on this one, aren't you? You're stoved in the front of his car. And he says, what's it going to cost to repair this car? And I just thought, in a moment, and the guy said this, he said, in a moment, my life was changed. My pride and joy, in a moment, had a stoved-in bonnet and a stoved-in bumper. And you see, that was a transformation. That was an abrupt and unexpected change. Now that was a change for the worse. When Paul's talking to us, he's saying the change that we should expect to see in our life is obviously a change for the better, but nonetheless, that sort of abrupt and sudden change. That's what we're talking about with our lives as Christians as we are transformed. The, the symbol for this series is that that uh, that butterfly that is the caterpillar that's transformed into a butterfly so that after the form that is there afterwards is unrecognizable from the form that was there before now strictly speaking there is uh, both a past a present and a future tense to our transformation Paul is saying in this verse, be transformed. That, that there's a present tense to that. This is something that happens now. This is something that you do now. This is something that we do now. This is something that is happening to us now. But there's also a past tense and there's also uh, a future tense. Uh, Paul says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation the old has passed away, behold, the new has come. And so before we talk about what it means for us to be transformed here and now, we need to actually recognise that a transformation has already happened. An abrupt and significant and remarkable change has happened in our lives for those of us that love Jesus Christ. The old has gone, the new has come. The caterpillar has become a butterfly. So as we actually go through this, this whole series, one thing that we need to bear in mind is, is actually what we're not saying. What I'm not saying and what I hope the guys that come and speak after me are not going to be saying. This isn't just a case of man up and do a little bit better. Try a little bit harder. That would be change. That would be, I'll, I'll have a bash, I'll have a go, I'll see what I can do. 
You see, we need to understand right at the beginning of this series that we have been transformed. The old has gone, the new has come. And it's right that we remind ourselves of that. Now, when Paul is saying in in Philippians, uh, in, sorry, in 2 Corinthians, uh, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. He's talking about the fact that we have been transformed in our spirits. We have been born again. We have been made new creatures. And actually, there's nothing that we can do that can make God love us any more than he does now. There's nothing we can do to make ourselves more acceptable to God. I can't, you know, if I read my Bible every day for five hours, six hours, seven hours, I'm not going to make myself any more acceptable to God than I am right now. If you pray, if you pray from the moment you wake up to the moment you go to sleep, you are not going to make yourself any more acceptable to God than you are right now. And we need to realize that because we are very good at trying to do things in our own strength. We are very good at trying to change ourselves. And that's why I stress this right at the beginning. For every one of us who loves Jesus, who's accepted Jesus as his or her saviour, we have been transformed. It's something that has already happened. We have been born again in our spirits. There is a future sense to our transformation says in Philippians 3.21, he will transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even subject all things to himself. Because there is some change that I would still like to happen. This body is decaying. I am getting older day by day. The wrinkles are, well, probably not quite there, but they're getting more prevalent day by day. I did notice, I'm going to be so honest with you guys, do you know what I noticed looking in the mirror the other day? A little grey hair. Those little grey hairs, they're starting to come. I'm getting a little bit older. And... This body is decaying, and uh, you, you, whether you agree with me or not, your bodies are decaying as well. And we would love to run a marathon in whatever the record is for running a marathon. For me, that ain't ever going to happen. I don't know if it ever was, but it ain't ever going to happen for me to do that sort of thing. This body is passing away, and we might try to delay the future with gyms and anti-aging creams and fitness regimes. We might try to transform our body with that latest cream. But that ain't going to happen truly, is it? Our bodies are fading away. But the hope for us as Christians is that there is a future transformation. That however I find this body, and again, we praise God for, for that, that testimony from Christine. Isn't that amazing that God heals our bodies? We, we praise God for doctors and nurses and for medical science that will address the bits that go wrong with us. But whatever does go wrong with us, ultimately, we all face death as our ultimate destiny. Our bodies will ultimately fade and fail. But the hope for us as Christians is that our lowly bodies will be transformed to be like his glorious body. So what I'm saying is, there's not much that we can do about transforming our spirits, because that's already happened. There's not much we can do about transforming our bodies as much as we'd like to, but that is going to happen. But there is something we can do right here, right now, about transforming our minds about changing the way that we think, 
about changing the worldview that we have, about changing the way that we see things, and so changing the way that we act. And that is what Paul is talking about in Philippians 4. He's talking about being transformed by renewing your minds. This present day, every day, step by step, ongoing way in which you change the way we think. So today we're going to be looking at verse 1, what it means to be transformed in our love for one another. Now in many ways, as we read that verse, and again I can read it again, it's one verse. Therefore my brothers whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm thus in the Lord my beloved. As we start to read that, we might say, well hey, that doesn't sound very exciting. If you're ever kind of chugging through Philippians 4, you probably skate over that verse thinking, let's get on into something more exciting. Uh, I don't want to pause on verse 1. What is there to pause on in verse 1? But we do need to pause in verse 1. We do need to see this. We need to make sure that we don't rush on too quickly and to understand what it means to love, to be loved, and to see the love that God has for us. You see, the message is that we are bombarded by daily by the world is that you need to be physically attractive to be loved. You need to accumulate wealth and money for others to take an interest in you. You need to have a successful career for others to appreciate you. And appreciation in our current culture is so often summed up by the likes and follows we get on our social media tweets and feeds. And when they're not forthcoming, we feel unloved and rejected. You don't have to look far in the media and the news to find not just young people, but older people whose life revolves around the likes that they get. And their life is measured by, are they accepted on social media or not? That's the world. And we need to be transformed to the word. Remember the strapline of this series, the world says, but the word says. So I want to look at what love means in a couple of ways. Firstly, I want to look at how we show love, how we are loved. And we can't really talk about that uh, without talking about the way God loves us. Paul says, our confidence is now in Christ. Our confidence is in Christ. So we need to look at the way God loves us as well, because that's the foundation of all that we're going to see in this. So firstly... Let's talk about our love or the way in which others love us. There's a kind of an inward aspect to this. Others show love to us. Before we even talk about what the Bible says, uh, this is absolutely vital for our well-being. And sociologists would say that the need to receive love and care and affirmation is vital to our well-being. The need for physical contact and affirmation is particularly important in young children. There was a study done uh, with young babies that said uh, babies that are deprived of contact from their mother or their parents when they're born, particularly during the first six months, grow up to be not as psychologically strong as others. All of you are parents. You know what it's like to, to hold your child but for our children to go up, grow up strong, they need to be shown love. And one of the paradoxes of our society is that we live in an age where we are more connected than ever before. 
previous generations would dream of the connectivity that we have through social media, through the internet, through communication, and yet the paradox is that we have more lonely and isolated people than ever before. We couldn't be more connected, and yet at the same time, we seem to be more and more lonely than ever before. And the question on so many people's lips is such a simple question. Does anybody love me? Does anybody love me? And the truth is, in a room of this size, with this number of people, there's probably some folks sitting here right now asking that very question. Does anybody love me? Does anybody care about me? You see, we talk about things that are vital to our physical well-being. Air. If we're deprived of air for more than a few minutes, we'll die. Water. If we're deprived of water for more than a few days, we'll die. Food. If we're deprived of food for more than a few weeks, we'll die. Lay on top of that the need for warmth, for shelter, for access for medical care. They're all the things that we need to be physically healthy. But the need to be loved is the primary requirement to be mentally or psychologically healthy. And I've said it before, and I'll say it again, the world sets some very strange parameters for what it means to be loved. Physical attractiveness, wealthy, good job. And these may not be present in our lives. Or they may disappear instantly from our lives. Does that suddenly mean we become unloved? When you lose your physical attractiveness, which we either never had or will. <laughs> I never had it, some of you will, but you're going to lose it when we lose that. When you lose your job. When you lose your wealth. Does that suddenly make you unloved? See, the world says yes. The world says love is that transient. Love is your job, is your beauty, is your wealth. And when it goes, you're no longer loved. That's why we need to be transformed. That's why, in one sense, this seems so simple. I'm looking at this verse. When Steve gave me this verse to preach, I'm looking at it, I'm thinking, that seems so simple. That one ain't going to stretch me much. Love. This is so central to who we are. This is so right for this to be verse 1 of Philippians. Because the world's perception of love is just on its head. And we as Christians need to say, hey, we've got, some, we've got a different message. We've got a different message. Love is a little bit more enduring than that. Isn't that the message of the prodigal son? Prodigal son who took his inheritance and went off to a foreign land and had a party party. And he had all the friends he needed and all the fun times he wanted until the money ran out. And then he suddenly wasn't loved anymore. And again, that's not a story for 2,000 years ago. We see that in the news today. You don't have to search hard or Google hard to find people who said, hey, I won the lottery. Life's a bed of roses. What could be better? I've won the lottery. And a year later, it's all gone. And they're back, uh, back with nothing. They bought that house, but uh, suddenly that's been repossessed. They had that job, they gave it up, and now... They have nothing. And if that were one isolated story, you'd say, hey, that was a person that didn't invest wisely. 
but I think there was a study done. There was a study done of lottery winners that said, in hindsight, do you wish you'd won? And most people said no. When it all comes down to it, my life would have been better off if I hadn't won the lottery. If I hadn't won that instant success, that transient lovability, if that's a word, that the world suddenly gave me, that was there for a moment and gone the next. See, the power of that parable is that true love, the love of the Father, is so much more enduring than what the world says. And so perhaps the question for us this morning is, do you feel loved? Do you feel loved? Do you know that other people love you? Are you able to receive that love? See, when the going gets tough, the tough go shopping. <laughs> That's the phrase for this generation, isn't it? When the going gets tough, the tough go shopping. And isn't that so transient? That, that, that momentary gratification of the new clothes that are hanging in the wardrobe, or in my case, the new DVD that might be sitting on the shelf, that you think, hey, I've now got that. Does that bring really happiness? We need to find something more enduring. We need to find something a little bit more lasting. And really, before I rush on, if this morning you are somebody who says, am I loved? I don't feel loved. Then you're actually in the right place here this morning. And when we get to the end, if I am able to give us sufficient time, when I will, I absolutely will, because it's so important, we would love to pray for you. Simply, if you just say, hey, I've just got nobody that I can talk to. I've just got nobody that will just come alongside me and put an arm around my shoulder and say, hey, I care for you. Then you're someone that we want to pray for this morning. No great theological questions or answers. Just, hey, you're loved. You're part of a family here that will care for you. Secondly, Outward, an outward dimension. There's an inward dimension that we need to be loved. There's an outward dimension that we need to love others. That's kind of interesting. We may not think about that much. We're, we're often very self-centered. Hey, who's going to love me? Here I am. Who's going to love me? Well, sometimes, like with so many things, it starts with us. And we probably need to ask the question, who are we going to show love to? Who are we going to love? There was a, it's a two-way street. There was, again, an interesting sociological experiment done um, where a group of people uh, were either given five pounds or given 50 pounds. Okay? They had a five pound note or they had a 50 pound note. And they were told that you can do one or two things with this money that you've been given. You can go and spend it on yourself or you can go and spend it on someone else. So half the group have got five pound, half have got 50 pound. They're told to go and half of you go and give it to someone else, half of you go and buy yourself something with it. And interesting, the results when they all came back, there were then questions as to how happy did they feel. And it's interesting that the group that had spent the money on someone else, actually, however that was analysed, said they felt happier than the people who had spent it on themselves. It's that, you know, again, when the tough, go shop, the tough gets tough, the tough go shopping. Okay? It was that mentality that the group that had spent the money on someone else said, we actually felt happier through spending it on someone else, through showing love to someone else. And then they dug a bit deeper and said, well, okay, here's the group that had £5 to give to somebody else. And here's the group that had £50 to give to somebody else. Which of you felt happier? And actually, there wasn't a difference. The group that only spent £5 on somebody else said, we felt just as happy, or however it was recorded, they scored the same as the group that had £50 to give to somebody else. Because the money wasn't important. 
The amount wasn't important. It was the act of doing something for somebody else. Whether it was five pound or whether it was 50 pound, it was that I have put somebody else first. I have shown appreciation to somebody else. I have shown love. We need to uh, pop back to Philippians for a moment and just notice what, uh, what Paul doesn't say. See, Paul, when we look at this verse, doesn't say, thank you for loving me. Now, in other places, Paul does. In this passage that we put up here, Paul makes a particular point about thanking the Philippian church for loving him. He says there, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for the needs once and again. So that's Philippians 4, 15, 16. We're not getting there for a good few weeks yet. So whoever's doing that verse, I hope I haven't stolen your thunder. But that's looking ahead. Paul does say thank you for the love that you have shown me. But that's not what Paul is saying in Philippians 4 verse 1. He's saying, I love you. Question I want to ask, because Paul is human like all of us. It's so easy to love those who love you. So I wonder if Paul hadn't received the support and the love from the Philippian church, would he have been able to say so strongly in Philippians 4 verse 1, I love you. See, we are fickle people, don't we? Aren't we? It's easy to love those who love us. In the world standards, it's easy to love those that are wealthy, attractive, good people to talk to. It's easy to love people who show us time and attention. It's harder to love people who don't quite fit into those categories. And so in this passage, Paul's affirming that they love him. But in verse 1, he's saying, well, you know, I love you. And we need to be aware that, that, that we are fickle people. There's something very, very different about love when we start to look at God's love for us that, that transcends that because we need to be transformed. So I, wanna, I want you to kind of put that thought in your pocket at the moment. Is it we love people just because they love us? I think in many cases the answer is yes. And that's the sort of thing that we need to be transformed in. We'll come to that in a moment. So let's move on. And let's talk about Interesting. Oh, my slide's in the wrong order. They are, but we'll go to that one. That's all right. Let's go on and talk to love. Oh, let's go on to, there we go. My slide's in the wrong order, but it doesn't matter. We'll have that slide. So let's talk about God's love for us. We talk about an inward aspect to love in that others show love to us. We talk about an outward aspect to love in which we show love to others. We need to talk about a downward aspect in which God shows love for us. You see, there are a number of words for love in the Greek. I don't know if other languages have this distinction. English is a poor language in this regard. So much just gets subsumed into this one word, love. But the Greeks actually have four different words for it. They talk of what's called, uh, I must pronounce this correctly, I've written it down here, storge love. Storge love, which is kind of uh, love between family members, particularly parents to children. If you've got kids, you love your kids. I've got kids, I love my kids. 
It's a storge-type love. It's that kind of directional love. You know, parents, we do anything for our kids, yeah? There's filial love, which is love for brothers and sisters. We'd, um, I, I guess in English, we, 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 talk, we have a phrase, we talk of brothers in arms, you know, soldiers that fight together. That, that, that camaraderie, that unity of a military unit, if you like, where, where you would give your life for your brothers in your unit. That's a kind of filial love. Interesting, I love language, I love the Greek. Um, what's the opposite of love? Not a difficult question, is it? Wasn't it a trick question? Hi, yeah, we do that. In English, we can cope with that. Do you know what the opposite in Greek of philia is? Because philia is love. So what's the opposite of philia? It's actually phobia. And it's where we get things like claustrophobia. That's fear or hatred of enclosed spaces. Arachnophobia, you know, fear or hatred of spiders. Language is quite neat sometimes. Anyway, so you've got this philia love, which is love for brothers and sisters. Then we've got this eros love, which is the physical love uh, between a husband and a wife. And then there's this fourth type of love called agape love, which is basically love for that which is unworthy. And that's why I said, let's pop in our pocket that idea that we love others because they love us, which is very, I think, central to how we act in the world. And in our other pocket, we seem to have this different type of love, which is this agape love, which is this love for that which is unworthy. Because I would suggest, and you may want to disagree with me, but I would suggest that we manage to do those three. We manage to show storge love, philia love, aneros love. I don't think we're very good at showing agape love. Love for that which is unworthy. And if we want to be transformed in our love, it's not just doing those three better, it's doing that. And if that's what you take away from this morning, take away that. If we want to be transformed in our love, it's not doing those three better, it's doing that. Paul, I think, in this passage here in Romans, is brutally honest. I think this is one of the most brutally honest in script, verses in Scripture that actually leaves me undone. I, I think this is, this is astounding because Paul isn't pulling any punches. He's not doing a nice sermon. He's not writing a nice letter and saying, guys, I'm going I'm to please you. I'm going to tickle your fancy. I think he takes a knife and goes straight to the heart of the matter. And he says this, he says, for one will scarcely die for a righteous person. Just hold on there for a minute. Just hold on those couple of words. Just think of the person that you admire most. It might be your wife, it might be your kids, it might be some role model, it might be somebody that you value highly. Just think of the person that you consider to be most righteous. Would you die for them? Would you die for them? We'd all like to say, well, yeah, of course we would. I'd die for my, I love my wife, I'd die for my wife. I love my kids, I'd die for my kids. You in, in this room would all say the same thing, I'm sure. Paul is brutally honest because he says, Paul says, rarely will somebody do that. When it comes to the crunch, even then rarely 
or somebody die for a righteous person. Though perhaps for a good person, somebody that we yeah, loves us, we would dare even to die. I think that's brutally honest. But, but, and you stick that but in capital letters and you underline it and you emphasize it and you stick it in bold font and you stick it in font five times bigger than the rest of the sentence. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And that isn't just one verse to one church in one situation. That is the heart of the gospel. Paul to Titus says he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit. In this is love. This is love. This, brothers and sisters, is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. You see, I want you to imagine just for a moment. And again, I'm going to be brutally honest because Paul's brutally honest with us. So I'm going to be brutally honest with you guys because this is important. I want you to think of the person... We're all Christians here, but I'm going to say it anyway. I want you to think of the person that you despise or hate the most. That's a harsh thing to say, isn't it? Because we know we shouldn't do that. But somewhere, if you dig deep into your heart, you'll find of somebody that has hurt you. That you would cross the road to walk on the other side rather than confront. And if you can't think of somebody like that, then I'll hold my hand up. You're a better person than me. Because I can think of some people that I, w- I would want to avoid that have hurt me in the past. And I know that's wrong, but I'm human and I'm failed and I've got my flaws. And I think if God could show his love for that person, that just undoes me because I think, who am I to then say they're not worthy? I need to show love for someone who is unworthy. And that's what being transformed in our love would be. Scarcely will someone die for a righteous person. Though perhaps for a good person, someone would dare to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Do you know the reason that so many people say, I couldn't become a Christian? I couldn't go to church? There's been so many studies done on that. It's not a difficult thing to Google or find. There's a list of maybe four or five big reasons why people say, I don't want to embrace the Christian faith. One of them is, you guys don't seem to live up to what you say. That one's leveled at us. There's too many hypocritical Christians or Christians saying one thing and doing something else. That's a fair point sometimes. The other one is that I'm not worthy. God couldn't possibly love somebody like me because of who I am, because of what I've done. Because of my past. You might be saying that this morning. God loves these guys here. They're all nice blokes, nice girls, nice people. God couldn't possibly love me. And you see, if your definition of love is filia love, or eros love, or storge love, then you're probably right. Because you're not worthy. You can look at your life and say, hey, I, I've got not much to offer. 
But if your definition of love becomes agape love, and you understand that God's going to love you regardless of who you are, regardless of what you've done, then you're going to start to appreciate what it means to be transformed by love. I'm keeping one eye on the clock. I've done the... Uh, uh, I don't normally do this. I don't normally go on longer than I meant to. Well, <laughs> I do that every time, don't I? Let's be brutally honest. I always go on longer than I meant to. Uh, I, I had some timings down here, and they've gone out the window. But, but I think this is important. I'm, I've kind of, I'm kind of off script now, but you're going you're gonna to go with me on this. This is not the Sunday to talk about this particular subject, nor am I the person to talk about this particular subject. But I want to say this about love and in being transformed in love. The world is not having a problem in giving a different message about transforming how we love. Okay? I can't be any more honest than that. You know, the, the sexual equality, gender debate, and I can't even put it in the right words, so I'm not the person to do this one, but you know what I'm talking about. The whole question of where do we even sit on a spectrum of what is acceptable in gender roles, and the way that we view uh, same-sex marriage, same-sex relationships, I'm not going to get into that, I don't want to get into that day, but I think every one of us in this room will be agreed that there is a transformation going on in the world as to how the world sees love. Is that a fair point? And you see, if we are not going to offer a counter-message, whatever that counter-message is, and I'm going to leave it up to other people to give that message, but if we do not offer another message that says love is this, then what the world says love is, is what will end up in everybody's heart and mind and will be established as what is right. I've been listening to some interesting um, both uh, audio uh, blogs and reading some interesting books um, by a couple of folks that are actually same-sex attracted and uh, are part of churches and are trying to live in a godly, righteous way according to scripture. Can't alter the fact that as a guy, he says, I just feel attracted physically to other guys. But what does that mean for me as a Christian to live righteously before God? And he said, that means I have to be celibate. I have to abstain from a physical relationship that I know is wrong. I can't alter how I feel, but the Bible tells me that in that case, I must be celibate. And you see, when I say something like that, the world will instantly say, well, that's fine, but you are undoing your mental well-being. Isn't that what I just said right back at the beginning? If we don't show love to one another and, and, and are able to receive love, we will undo ourselves mentally. And so when this guy said that, he said the question that comes back from so many people when he says that is that, but surely you're going to be mentally deprived. You're depriving yourself of love. And his answer was, I'm depriving myself of physical love, of eros love. But he said, I'm part of a church. I know what it is to be part of a family that loves me. I'm part of a church. I know what it is to have brothers and sisters and spiritual parents who care for me. I know what it is to have filial love, to have brothers and sisters around me. And I'm starting to understand what it means to know agape love, to love that which is unworthy. And he said, to be honest, eros love is the tiny tip of an iceberg where 90% of it is underneath the water and is a deeper, more important type of love that I do not feel deprived of and am not deprived of. And that's not my story to tell, that's somebody else's story to tell. But what I am saying is 
I think as a church, not as a CCC, but as a global church, this has to be the issue that we are struggling with in these days. And if we say nothing, because to be honest, it's easier to say nothing, isn't it? If we say nothing, well, the world's not afraid to say something. The world's not afraid to say, if it feels good, do it. The world's not afraid to say, don't deprive yourself, go for it. The world's not afraid to say, love who you want, it doesn't matter. And again, I'm not, going to, I'm not standing here this morning saying this is right or this is wrong and I don't want to get into this debate because we're now at 20 minutes past 11 and that one's going to run and run and run. But if we are not transformed in our love, well, the world's doing it already, transforming the definition of what love means. So are we, going to ch- are we as a church going to give a transformed message of love or are we going to let the world... Paul says, be transformed by the word, not by the world. Let's pray. Father, I just pray that you would continue to speak to us about what it means to be transformed in our love. I pray that you would speak to us about finding you if we feel lonely or apart or separated or someone that couldn't receive love. I pray if we've had bad experiences in the past, if we've been hurt in the past, that you would address that, you would come alongside us and give us comfort and help us and be our father, be our brother, be, our, be the one who puts his arms around our shoulder and says, you're that lost sheep that I'm going to find. You're that prodigal son that I'm going to welcome back. Brother, sister, son, daughter, you are welcome here. You're worthy in my sight. As we pray, if you, uh, if you want someone to pray with you, then of course you can come up here and someone will come and stand with you. If you just want to talk to somebody next to you, say, hey, will you just pray with me? I'm just going through this. Then that's fine as well. But if you want to hear from God, if you want to do business with God, if you want to say, hey, right now, starting today, I want to be transformed in my understanding of love, where it's giving, whether it's receiving, whether it's understanding who God is, then do something about that this morning in these last few minutes that we have. Let's pray, let's worship, let's thank God for who he is. Amen.